As a pastor, one of the things that does not escape me, especially when I'm uh, traveling uh, around the world and visiting some of our missionaries, is the, the freedoms that we do have here in America. Um, and, and this morning in our text, you'll, um, you'll hear, as, as we're discussing this text, um, some of those freedoms that we do have and where we are not under some of the persecution that other people in other places are. And uh, one of the reasons why we're not is because of our men and women who have uh, served us, uh, men and our veterans. And so I, I would like to just take a moment, and if, if you're a veteran, if you just stand up, we'd like to show you honor this morning and thank you for what you've done. If you just... Thank you. I, I, I pray all the time that God will raise up men and women who um, love the freedom that God has given us enough to, uh, to, to give unto themselves in, in that way, in the way that you all have served. And so thank you. Um, we could not uh, be doing what we're doing this morning uh, without your service. So we, we thank you for that. As we, as we get into our text this morning, one of the things that we will continuously come back to, as you heard Gary the past couple of weeks, we will continuously come back to Romans 12.1 as we are marching through the rest of, of Romans. And, and a thing I just, I just want to call to your mind this morning, that is, as you heard uh, Kurt say earlier, that if you look at Romans 12.1, notice, and we've talked about this quite a bit, that it's therefore I urge you, brethren, based on or by the mercies of God, you are to present your body as a living sacrifice. And in this verse, we get the, the, one of the motivations for Christian living and the posture that we should have as Christians. The, the motivation is the mercy of God. If you are a Christian this morning, you have been shown great mercy. Your salvation is solely dependent upon the mercy of God. That God, in His love, in His love, loved you so much that He gave His Son for you and saved you. It's a pure act of mercy. And not only is our salvation based on the mercy of God, but the very fact that you stand here still a Christian is based upon the mercy of God. If left to our own devices, if left to our own morality, we would have all failed before we got to church this morning. But God in His mercy keeps us in His love. And in keeping us in His love, God in His mercy has given us the Holy Spirit that indwells us, um, that, that encourages us, that convicts us of sin, that makes the Scripture alive to us so that we can, in this world, become more holy and one day, one day, get to heaven where we will be um, new bodies, new mind, and be made how we were, are supposed to be. But n not only so then do we have the motivation for Christian living here in the mercy of God, but also in this verse we have the posture that, that we are, based on the mercies of God, we are to lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice, enlisting ourselves into the service of the kingdom for the almighty King of kings the Almighty God, that we are as Christians supposed to lay our lives down and be a living sacrifice, living in His service. 
And these are important when we look at these texts. When we look at these commands, it's important to have that in the foreground of your brain. Now, when you do this, when you line up as the Scripture has us line up, life is easy, right? No more heartache. No more headache. Everybody treats you well. You come to church, everybody gets along. We sing kumbayas, we leave, and no friction. As you go throughout your day, as you go to work tomorrow and uh, are faced with people in the workplace, easy going. As you turn on the news this afternoon, nothing rattles your cage. It's not the truth, is it? It's not the truth. And so we need, as long as there are two sinners in this world, we're going to have relational conflict. And there are way more than two sinners in this world because all of us, All of us are sinners. Now, over the last two weeks as Gary was preaching through part of this text, um, the the first part, the parts that Gary was preaching through, uh, Gary told you that this was talking about Christian living and how Christians are to interact with one another. And this morning as we move into verse 17, um, most people believe and I believe that Paul transitions here and he's no longer necessarily talking about Christian living, Christians living with one another, but it's more on the theme of persecution. Christians living in the world. And, and one of the places we get this is if we were to go down uh, and to look at these verses, and I'll just give you two examples in verse 10 and in verse 13. It, said, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then in 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. We have words and markers there that's pointing to Christian community, Christian on Christian living. In our verses, uh, there is a distinct change in the way that it is describing people. Let's read through them. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And I think even the fact that it is saying evil, that someone is doing evil to you. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then in verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. I think this is talking about non-Christians. And then in verse 20, we don't see this kind of language towards people in the church, uh, in the the big church, in uh, Christian on Christian living. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. We'll talk about that next week, what that means. But don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I believe what this, these verses are pointing to is Christians living in the world, and it's talking about uh, persecution. And so this morning, we're going to look at how should Christians respond to persecution. And before we get started, I want to I give just a couple of kind of side notes here. First is that we do not experience, and it's, it's, it's part of it is that God in His sovereignty um, has used you veterans uh, to pave the way and fight for freedom so that we don't experience the kind of persecution that other places um, experience in the world. We have missionaries this morning that are in harm's way that we support. And I just want to give you two organizations, there's many, but two Uh, just since we're talking about persecution, for you to go online and look at, and you can download their apps, and they'll send you emails, they'll send you 
ways that you can pray. They'll send you videos so that you can understand what our brothers and sisters around the world go through. And that's Open Doors Ministry. That's a really good uh, ministry. And the other one, probably uh, more, um, the one I look at the most often is The Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has great content on their website, uh, gives you wonderful things to pray about. And so this morning, as we're talking about Christians and we're talking about persecutions, one of the byproducts of that is that I want us to be a people who support and pray for Christians who are in harm's way. And this is just one way to do that and to be informed. The other thing is this. This sermon this morning, talking about persecution, may pave the way for some of you to go to some of these places. It, it may pave the way for you to be convicted that maybe this is the call of the Lord on your life to go to tough places to bring the good news. And, and, and uh, if, if that is who you are, uh, I, we would rejoice with you in doing that. Now, for the bulk of us, for the bulk of us, we will probably uh, be living here in the United States. And so I, I want to talk about uh, just three quick things before we get into the verses on persecution in the United States. And the first thing that I want to realize and that I want us to have in our heads as we're looking at these verses is that it's not the same as it is in other places. We do not suffer the same kinds of persecution that our brothers and sisters across the world suffer. And we need to be thankful for that. We need to be sending resources to them, whether it's people or money or whatever. And... Um, that I believe that part of living in a society where we're not persecuted for our beliefs means that we are a safe haven um, for missionaries to come and retreat to and get refreshed as they go back out. But also, we're, we're also a home base, a home base in where we can be sending resources and funding and sending people um, across into places where persecution may exist. The second thing that I want to say, though, is that we would be ignorant not to think that there's not a growing anti-Christian attitude in our culture. We see it all over the place. Uh, you know, one of the markers, a, a lot of what social scientists in America do is they look at other countries that are similar to us and they look at what's going on in their laws and the things that are being passed and if you began to do that, if you looked at our neighbors in Canada or across in Europe, some of the laws that are being passed, some of the, um, some of the limits of freedom of speech and freedom of expression that are happening, uh, it, it will send chills up your spine. And it's happening in our own culture and own society. There are, there are groups that are around that are really trying to lean in on and, and, and to oppress and to squash as Christian, our freedom of speech, our freedom of expression, and our rights to believe God's Word. And so, although we're not experiencing the same kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters are, it is here and it is around us. And thirdly, as we look at persecution this morning, I hope that we are a church that is always preparing the next generation. I don't know if you think about this often, and I know I say this quite a bit from the pulpit, 
But we are only a generation away from an America or a society that looks totally different than what it does today. And so if you are a parent here this morning, I want you to perk up and to listen and to nail down some of these principles in your own heart, in your own mind that we see from the text this morning. If you're a a younger person this morning, I want you to listen up. I want you to ask your parents questions. If they don't have the answers, then they can uh, go find one of the other elders uh, or me. But, but I want you to listen and I want you to pay attention. I want you to prepare yourself. The worst thing in the world would be is that if we failed in our job and that at some point in your life things turn or the tide changes and you're not prepared, the church in America is not prepared um, to stand. Now, although we're going to be talking about persecution this morning and how to endure that, I do think that the principles that we're going to talk about and the principles that Paul lays out also is applicable when it comes to friendly fire. Friendly fire being in, in the church body itself. So as we dig in, um, I, I think these principles uh, will, will ring true. Now, like Gary has said the past two weeks, um, these verses are very easy to understand. But I think you'll find this week again that these verses are hard and difficult if we truly understand them in their context to implement. So the goal is to get through um, four uh, phrases this morning, uh, three verses, four phrases, and we'll see how we do on that. But we start off with this, and we're talking about persecution, and we start off with this, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And so what I want you to notice this morning is that when we look at this verse, the assumption that Paul has here when he's saying don't pay back evil is that an evil has occurred to you. So this isn't just a not getting along passage, hey, be nice to others. This is, the the scenario here is that an evil has been done to you. And in Paul's day, what would this look like? Paul himself, before he was a Christian, as he was Saul, was dragging Christians out of their homes. They were being put in prison just simply because they were Christians. They were being beaten. They were being killed. Property was being taken. Evil things were happening to them. And what I want to ask you this morning, what I want to ask you this morning, is what kind of emotions naturally rise up in your heart when an evil has been done to you? And I don't know about you, but I struggle in Little league sports, when a ref gets it wrong. Or, every now and then in traffic, if somebody wrongs me, a little bit of emotion rises up in my soul. How quickly, how quickly, as human beings, does something rise up in us that is very un? Godly, these desires to retaliate, these these desires to retaliate evil with evil, these desires that when something evil happens to us or something evil happens to someone that we know, these desires uh, that, that rise up in us that we begin to even fantasize about something really evil happening to that person. There's a parallel passage that goes with our passage, and so I'm going to 
be jumping back and forth to 1 Peter, but I want to read you in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And so if you want to uh, put your finger there, that would be good. 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 12. To sum, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing for. The one who desires life, to love, and to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And what strikes me in this passage is several things here in First Peter. First is that not only does it say don't do evil to those who have done you evil, but it says don't even speak evil. And then notice at the end of this passage, notice the quote at the end of this passage, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I, I think in the context that when Peter is writing this, he is telling the person who the evil has been done against, don't return evil for evil because the Lord's face is against those who do evil. If you do evil, the Lord's face will be against you. And so the question this morning is, how in the world do we do this? And I've got just a couple of suggestions here. And the first, just two suggestions. And the first thing is this, remember your testimony. Over and over and over again in the epistles, as Paul is writing, Paul's testimony is front and center in his mind. And one of the things that Paul's testimony keeps in check is his humility and the graciousness and the mercy of God. And when we really understand how sinful we are and how dead in our trespasses and sins that we were, then we truly understand the mercy of God, it becomes very difficult for us not to at that point then begin to understand what it means to give mercy to others. So that's first. And the second one, and Gary mentioned this last week, um, and, and it's, it's just rang true in my life over and over and over, and that is, is to pray for the salvation of the other person. That if you're under persecution, I... I hear missionaries all the time. We could just share story after story after story of missionaries under persecution and, and we get enraged because we want to join them and fight with them because we love them and we want to return evil for evil and then we hear from them and they are praying for their enemies. Brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves in that place, we need to first remember from where God has brought us and secondly, go to our knees in prayer so that God may even be using this persecution so that this other person sees and experiences the grace and the mercy of God. You see, just two or three verses later in that First Peter passage, it says this, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in you, because when you don't return evil for evil, the world stands up and takes note that there's something different in you and in your life. Now, I want to take two quick side notes here um, because whenever we talk about this passage, I think there are all these other 
offshoots that run, and I just want to talk about two of them uh, real quickly. And, and the first one is this. All right, don't return evil for evil. So, Lewis, are you saying that it's wrong to pursue justice? And uh, especially early on uh, in my Christian life as I was in college, and I think this is part of the natural evolution of human beings. In college, we um, take some of the scriptures and forget some of the other scriptures and that, you know, we want to be a people who uh, think that, you know, world peace is very easy and very achievable if everybody would just drink a Coke. Do you all remember that commercial? If we all just drank a Coke, world peace would happen. And so sometimes we look at this verse and it's like, yes, 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 yes. You know, like, I get it. And so we even throw out seeking justice. Now, and I want to say, I want to be very clear, not seeking justice in many cases is wrong. It's wrong. God is a God of justice. These verses, just what they're saying is, is they're saying when something happens to you, individual Christian, when you look inside, your heart should be for, for the good and not evil. That's the key word. It shouldn't be for evil. Because if we really think about justice, and you know, if we only had someone in this church uh, who was a biblical scholar, who uh, had a degree in philosophy, and who worked on a lot of ethics boards, they could... Right, Gary? <laughs> they could lay this out beautifully and write books about it. But I just, want you to, I just want you to know briefly this morning is this. There's a difference between seeking justice and pursuing evil. In fact, in chapter 13 of this very book, Paul says this, chapter 13, verse 3, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise uh, from the same. And, and it goes on and, and we're going to talk about that in weeks to come. So we'll pick this theme up later. But what I just want you to know is, is that the Bible is clear that seeking justice is different than seeking evil. And in seeking justice, we're looking to deter and to hold back evil. And you may ask the question, well, what about the Old Testament uh, verse that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And so if that's the case, shouldn't it be evil for evil? In fact, there was a, I won't mention the, the pastor, uh, or a pastor, and he's the head of a large Christian organization. And uh, one of the things, and the first part of this I have no opinion on, so don't write me letters or emails or corner me in the hallway, but he was talking about people in his uh, group getting uh, concealed carry permits. Whatever, fine. Then he utters this statement. If they're going to come in here, let's teach them a lesson. What I want you to see in that quote, that's very different from protecting yourself or protecting other people. That's very different when you say, if they come in here, let's teach them a lesson. The lesson we should be teaching them, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. This is a familiar passage to many of you. Jesus says, I, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn 
him to turn to the left also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that, notice this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing than others? Do not the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, Jesus was not, in this passage, overthrowing governmental authorities. Jesus was not going against uh, justice and, in in our context, uh, the the courts that serve a purpose to restrain evil and to um, hold back bad things. Jesus was saying, in your heart, there should be an attitude among you of love and graciousness and kindness and a desire to see this other person Uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, I think as mercy changes us, we begin to look at others in a different way. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody's too far gone. My well-being, the good life, is not the goal of life. And so there are times, brothers and sisters, that you may be called into persecution and into difficult times, and you may be called to sheath your sword and to take it because there is a greater good and a greater purpose going on. And that will not happen if you believe that the goal of this life is for you to get what you get and to be happy here on earth. It won't happen. God may be calling you to stand firm in the midst of persecution and love those who are persecuting you enough to display good works and good deeds towards them. And the other thing that we have to keep in mind, and we probably won't get to this morning, we'll get to next week, and we see it uh, later in our, in our text in verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Meaning, as Kurt was saying this morning, that I am so happy that God is sovereign, that that God is in control, and there is a life to come. Therefore, I can spill out myself in this life knowing that true judgment, perfect judgment, will happen one day. And I just want to pause here and say, let us never be of the sorts where we rejoice in that, but let it break our hearts that someone may have to stand by themselves under the judgment of God for the evil that they've done. And let, a, let that cause us to love and to be motivated in such a way that we desire the good of the other, even the one who may be against us. Secondly. Secondly, yes, supposed to be four. Won't get there. Notice it says in verse 17, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Another translation uh, says it this way, Be careful to do what is honorable among all men. Again, in First Peter, this time in chapter 2, uh, verse 11 through 17. 
Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority, or the governor sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. We are to be a people who not only does not return evil for evil, but in fact strives to do good in the face of the persecution, so that the person instituting that may look and say, there is something different about this person. And uh, in First Peter, it gives us the example of Jesus, right? When Jesus was led uh, away, uh, when Jesus was going to trial, remember it was uttered of him, I find no fault in him. Jesus had the power at his uh, disposal to return, it would have been justice for, Eve, for Jesus to return evil right then, to, to, to just destroy the captors, to the person who plucks the king of the universe, the son of God's beard, the most evil act spitting on him and cursing him. Jesus had the power and the ability to just level it. But yet, Jesus humbled himself. For a higher purpose. And I think even in our own day and age, uh, not to glorify this man, but I think of Jack Phillips, the baker in Colorado, who suffered persecution and still suffers persecution. That one of the things I've been impressed about this man is that he hasn't gotten in the gutter. That when I've heard interviews of him and when I've watched things that he has done, although he is being persecuted, he continually is trying and striving to do right in the sight of all men. So don't return evil for evil, but do good. Let them see your good deeds and repent. Thirdly, verse 18. Verse 18, and look at these phrases in verse 18. We're going to take each, each phrase and to just to lay out what it means. It says, if possible... As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And notice that the first phrase is, if possible. And the only word word on this that I want to say is that what the Bible is telling us here is that there are going to be times that it is not possible for you to be at peace with all men. But, if possible, next phrase, this is important, as far as it depends upon you. So the inability for there to be peace in any situation shouldn't be because of you. That we as Christians should be the peacekeepers. We as Christians should be the one who are striving for peace. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called the sons of God. So your attitudes, your actions should not stand in the way of peace. We should be forgiving, we should be merciful, and we shouldn't be surprised when trials come. 
We've been warned about this all throughout the Bible. And then the last phrase here is, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with those you want to be at peace with. That's not what it says. With all men. We like to be at peace with those whom we want to be at peace. Now, I want to give a dumb example and then really lean into us here. Okay? Here's the dumb example. And uh, uh, so uh, I like to run. And right now I have plantar fasciitis in my left foot. Right? Which hurts sometimes. So what happens is I can get a pretty good regime, exercise routine where it doesn't hurt. Get on the elliptical and that sort of thing. And then I do something stupid like go run in the woods for nine miles the other day and uh, after I do that I'm limping around all day. Now where I want to give an example of this is that in a physical way I had the option for my foot not to hurt. Right? Don't run in the woods for nine miles. Your foot won't hurt. But I chose a different path. Why? Because I wanted to. (laughs) Now, I think what this verse is telling us the same thing. In the situations where you have an option to keep peace, keep the peace. The difference is that there are some situations where you don't have the option. Two ideas. One is that the other person may not be willing to keep the peace with you. So you may be continually... There may not be peace because of the other person, right? But I do want to bring up, there are two other... At least, there's just two examples that I wanted to give. There are at least two other situations in which you will not keep peace. You should not keep peace. One, if keeping peace means denying the gospel then we're not keeping peace. It doesn't mean that we're going to bear the sword like Peter. But it also means we're not going to fold for the sake of peace. We're standing on the gospel. As our culture moves in such a way, one of the things I've often said is that At Signal Mountain Bible Church, we're not going to compromise on the Word of God. If we truly believe this is the Word of God, we're not going to compromise on that. If that means they take our tax-exempt status, they take our tax-exempt status. If that means, whatever it means, it means that. We're, we're, We're not going to make peace in that way. Here's another one. The Bible over and over again calls Christians to care for orphans, Widows and sojourners. And and as you study those passages, what it's really telling us is as Christians, we are to be the voice for the voiceless. We are to stand in the corner of those who are being abused and neglected. And so I would say as a Christian, if we are in a situation and we see or around someone who is helpless, being uh, abused or run over in such a way, we as Christians are called into that fight, not to run away from it. And there are some other examples that I could give. But this being Orphan Sunday, (laughs) that's one that I want to give you. That as Christians, we are to stand firm for the fatherless. 
we are to stand firm uh, for, and we could run a million directions this morning, but we're not going to keep peace with a culture that is running counter to that. Now, sometimes, and wrongfully, this verse, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, becomes the life verse for people who are conflict avoiders. This verse is put everywhere because they hate conflict, and they're like, Amen! We want to keep peace, and, and, and what I want to say, I'm going to lean in here to you conflict avoiders. <laughs> this is not what that means. It doesn't mean that we avoid conflict at all costs. In fact, sometimes in order to keep peace, we have to enter into conflict. Conflict avoiders by nature are not avoiding, uh, are not avoiding conflict for the sake of peace. They're avoiding conflict for the sake of not having anxiety. And I'm very sympathetic to this. On the other end, you know, there's two main conflict types. There's the avoider and there's the pursuer. Uh, on the other side, um, this probably does need to be the life verse of those people who see a conflict around every corner and are fighting a cause everywhere, <laughs> right? What the Scripture is laying out for us here is that if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so we've got to have wisdom from the Scripture to be able to step into these situations when persecution is happening. And we've got to be able to pray and we've got to be willing to step in. And we've got to be asking God what He would have us to do in certain situations. And it becomes very difficult. I could lay out four situations by people in this church that have come to me with situations and their desire is to keep peace as far as it depends upon them and it's a situation and it's tough and it's difficult and we leave just saying let's pray about this and see what happens. See where God calls you to step in or God calls you to step out. So it's dependent upon the Lord and so you type heirs don't like this part of the sermon where I say it depends. But I do believe If our goal is peace, if our desire is to do good, if we're resisting the temptation to do evil, that God will lead us in the path that we are to go when it comes to this. So, as we end this morning, there's much more to say next week, and we'll we'll continue on this theme uh, next week, and uh, we will have a baptism next week, and it's not left um, on me that baptism, especially in the first century, that uh, people wearing their baptismal clothes after they were baptized were often marked for persecution. But I just want us to, again, be a people who are captivated by the mercy of God, who are overwhelmed by the goodness of God, who can really count it all joy when we experience trials, who expect that persecution will come, and who are constantly pushing down desires for evil and fanning flames of doing good to those who may do evil for us for the sake of the gospel. This is what we're called to, brothers and sisters. Let's pray.